Hello friends, family of God, it's so good to join with you today in worship. We're gonna start with a reading from Psalm 24, starting in verse seven. It says this, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And who is this King of glory? He is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. So lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. People of God, we're going to echo the words of the psalmist today. We're going to say, open up the doors, open up the gates. Let the King of glory come in. We prepare the way of the Lord. And these are particularly powerful words for us this week because this week is Pentecost. We're celebrating the moment when the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended on and empowered the early church. So let's make that our prayer today. Stir it up in us, Lord. Come Holy Spirit, send us out, empower us to worship your name, to lift you up, to proclaim the good news. Let's say it together. Come on, open up the doors, open up the gates. Let the King of glory come in. We prepare the way of the Lord. Let's worship together. Come on. Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roar? When the people rose to sing, oh, Jesus Christ, the risen one. Oh, Jesus, the risen one. Did you feel the people tremble? Did you feel the people tremble? Did you hear the singers roar? When the lost began to sing out, Jesus Christ, the saving one. Oh, and we can see, and we can see that God you're moving, a mighty river through the nations. And young and old will turn to Jesus Fling wide, fling wide You have a Oh, fling wide the 
give him the worship he is due, the honor he is due. name of Jesus as one as your people we've gathered together to lift you up Lord with one heart one mind we've come to worship you let's sing this together our father everlasting the all-creating one God almighty Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
suffered and crucified Forgiveness is in you Descended into darkness You rose in glorious life Forever seated high I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit Our God is three and one I believe in the resurrection That we will rise again For I believe in the name of Jesus And I believe in you, Lord And I believe you rose again And I believe that Jesus
singing is based on one of the oldest confessions of the church. It's based on a confession called the Apostles' Creed. It's what the book of Acts describes as the teaching of the apostles. And maybe right now in this moment you're feeling disconnected and isolated and separated and wondering if you're the only one trying to hang on to faith and trust in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And today I want to remind you that when we sing that, we're joining the great company of the people of God throughout the ages. We're joining the great collection of men and women who have gone before from every tribe and every tongue for 2,000 years singing the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous lights. We're calling on his name. And friends, we sing a song like this because there are moments when your faith is weak and you need to remember that the church is confessing its faith with you. There are moments when you've lost your song, but the church is singing with you. There are moments when you can't pray, but the church is praying with you. This weekend, millions and millions of Christians around the world will mark Pentecost. That occasion where we remember when 120 scared disciples of Jesus were gathered in an upper room wondering what the future would be stepping into an unknown world. And all of a sudden, as they were praying, a great rushing wind came into the room. Fire descended on them. And these went out and launched a movement that changed the course of human history. And I want to pray over you, and I want to invite you to pray for those who are around you. Maybe you're gathered with some roommates, family members, friends, you take a moment and maybe put your hand on their shoulder if they're nearby. Corral the children just for a second. Lay a hand on their head. And just say the very simple prayer that we've come to love here at New Life Church. Just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Bring about the fire of your presence. The rushing wind of God into our lungs into our hearts and our souls. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I want you to think of some local churches in our city, in our community. If you're watching this from another location, think about the local churches, the churches maybe you drive by on your way home or around your neighborhood. And if you can call out the name of that church, call it out. Lord, bless the churches in our community. Bless the leaders who are leading in that community. God, we pray for a unity in the body of Christ. We pray that the same movement that once tore down walls between classes and ethnicities, Lord, would that movement, that same Holy Spirit, unite and heal divisions again. Lord, would you revive your church? Would you renew your church? Would you bring an awakening through your church, not only in our cities and not only in our country, but all around the world, God? Let the church rise on this Pentecost weekend. Fire of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for it now. We pray for it now. And friends, as we give today, there are three ways to give, and you can give via text, or you can set up online a recurring gift. You can mail in your check. But listen, when you give, this is not a tax or a tip or a donation. 
This is an act of worship and an act of participation in the arriving kingdom of God. This is how the mission of God continues in the world, to care for the sick, to welcome in the vulnerable and the outsider, to feed the hungry. This is what we do. So as you give this morning, I pray that your hearts would be awakened to the great story of the mission of God continuing through the people of God, of God's kingdom arriving on earth as it is in heaven through us, his church. Let's worship as we give. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit, you you to know it. Come, rise up in us, O oh Lord, like a rushing wind if you want to. We love you, God. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Friends, people of God, that's who you are. Prepare your hearts for the word of God now. Lean in, press in, grab your Bibles, grab your notebooks. You know it by now. Grace and peace. <laughs> Hello, New Life Friday Night friends. Hello, New Life East. Daniel Grothy and... Andrew Arndt. And we thought we would do something fun. Andrew and I have been friends for over 20 years, and we've done a lot of team teaching through the years. And we thought we would break it up just a little bit, do a team teach on our third week going through the book of James. And so here we are. This is a great moment of nostalgia. I remember all those years ago when we used to do that team. It does feel like it was 17 years it ago. It does. It's only been 11 weeks, but those 11 weeks are in dog years. Uh, yeah. It's like 77 years <laughs> that we've exactly been apart. Right. 
So anyway, welcome to church this weekend, New Life Friday Night and New Life East. We're going to be going through James chapter 2, 1 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, we invite you to get those out and uh, let's hear the word of the Lord. What I'll do is I'll read the text and pray and then we'll jump in and go for it. So here is what James chapter 2, 1 through 13 says. It says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your church meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are, doing, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in this moment. COVID-19, lockdown, disequilibrium, disorientation. We, sometimes it's hard to know up from down right now. And so we come to you, the God who does not move the God who does not change, the God who is not a moving target, the God who is predictable. We come to you and we center ourselves in the the presence of the Spirit. We center ourselves around your word and we ask you, Lord, in a time of great disorientation to reorient us this weekend. Speak to us by your word. Challenge us. Encourage us. Change us comfort us, strengthen us. And so we pray, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I want to take our attention here for a moment back to the first verse here. So James chapter two and verse one. My brothers and sisters, James writes, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Let me hear you say favoritism. Favoritism. There it is. Uh, favoritism is, uh, it's a fine word as far as it goes, Daniel, but I think it doesn't quite get to what the Greek is actually doing here. It's a little, in my opinion, it's a little bit abstract. So favorite is kind of an abstract category. And then we throw an ism on it. And now all of a sudden we have a philosophy, but the Greek here is, uh, it's a more obvious and kind of fun word. It's prosopolempsius. I know you're just dying to say prosopolempsius. So I'll let you give it a chance. And there you go. Touch Kids your neighbor. Out, touch it. Touch seven people. Say. You say prosopolempsius. <laughs> but prosopa is the Greek word for face and lempsius is the Greek word for receiving. And so what it literally means is face receiving, which I just think is such 
an obvious and fun word. James here is talking about the propensity that we have to receive people on the basis of their face. How do they look? Are they attractive? Ooh, I want to be friends with you. Are you wearing nice clothes? Ooh, I want to be friends with you. You seem like you're powerful. I want to be friends with you. You drive a Tesla. I want to be friends with you, right? We receive people on the basis of their surface appearance. And this is not just a problem, of course, in the first century. It's a problem in the 21st century that we don't look beyond the surface of people. That what we do is we look just at the surface of people and we bring them into our lives on that basis. And it's not hard, you know, when you think about it, to understand the motive, maybe, why the churches that James is writing to would be doing this. Uh, James is writing to a group of people that probably are economically disadvantaged, most of them. They needed some help. They totally needed some help. So all of a sudden, this guy or lady comes wandering in that looks like they've got resources, means, what are you going to do? We need you in our corner. We totally need you in our Let corner. Let me leverage this relationship. Yeah. So that person comes together and you go, ooh, hi, welcome. What is your name today? There's a nice seat right over here. You're Wait, a tithing member of the church, right? Yeah. We <laughs> might as well make you an elder all of a sudden, right? What you're doing is you're, you're, they're thinking that if we can curry the favor of these rich and these powerful people, What will happen is it will help us secure our existence as a community. They were economically disadvantaged. They didn't have wealthy patrons and people covering them. So if we get somebody with deep pockets, if we get somebody with a checking account that's pretty full in our corner. First round draft pick on our team. Yes, it really helps them. And so right in the middle of that, right in that sort of propensity to favor the rich and the powerful, to curry favor with people on the basis of their face, James challenges that. He challenges the way we try to falsely secure our lives by catering to the rich and the powerful, by directing our attention back to the Jesus way, which is why he calls them believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that we learn from Jesus when we look at his life and his ministry was that At every turn, Jesus powerfully inverted the value system of the world. So one of my favorite texts, this is Luke chapter 14, I think gets at this so beautifully. But the text says that when he noticed Jesus was invited to a dinner party, when he noticed how the guests picked the place of honor at the table, he told them this parable. He said, when somebody invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And if so... The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. And then humiliated and embarrassed, you're going to have to take the least important place. He says, so when you're invited, what are you going to do? He says, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say, friend, move up to a better place. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we're seeing this inversion of the value system of the world at work. But then he takes it farther. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, so first you're invited, now you're giving a luncheon or a dinner. Don't invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite invite you back and you'll be repaid. But he says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So first movement, right? He says, when you go to a dinner party, don't take the highest place, but take the lowest place. And when you throw one of these banquets or parties, 
uh, don't invite the highest people, but invite those that are on the underside of power, those that are often overlooked. And so one of those seated at the table that day, verse 15 says, hears him say this. And he says to Jesus, well, blessed is the person who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. This is like the, you know, the best student in the class here. And Jesus replied, yeah, let's talk about that banquet. Let's talk about that meal at the end of all things. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But all of them alike began to make excuses. The first said, well, I just bought a field and I need to go and see it. Please excuse me. See, he's saying the rich tend to be a little preoccupied. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And so the servant does this. He says, what you've ordered has been done and there's still room. And the master said, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So what Jesus is saying is he's looking ahead to the end of all things. And he's saying that great eschatological banquet, the marriage supper of the lamb, he says will mostly be populated by those that the world has overlooked. So... In your way of being in the world, in your way of being in community, the folks that you ought to prefer are the folks that the world normally overlooks because they know something about God that you don't, which is precisely what James is saying, James 2.5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? And isn't this true in our experience that you've been in settings where there were powerful people in the room, but it didn't really feel like anyone was there for the right reasons. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was clean. It yeah. felt like everyone was there to leverage and everyone was there to build and to shake hands and to, 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 you know, build their brand. And yeah. some of those settings, green rooms you've been in, or yep. it, it, there's a lot of people who are well-known, but they're shallow, they're hollow. It's, a, it's just a gross existence. And on the flip side, you've been in rooms where people, they don't have resource, but they're joyful yes. and they're bright yes. and they're full of life and they're happy to be there. They're just thankful. Yes. And those are, the, those are the settings that you actually want to be in. And yes. James is saying, don't build it on face receiving because there's nothing really there. Yes, Build it on the true grace and the gift of God's salvation and blessing and invite those who truly yes. would find it as a gift. Amen. Yeah. I mean, what he's saying is like, don't build community on the superficialities. And you talk about those green rooms and the back rooms that we've been in and some of those dinner parties that you've been invited to. It feels good to be invited to them sometimes, but man, you realize that the world traffics in so much superficiality and those that are not inside of privilege, to your point, to James's point, those that are not inside of privilege they tend to have an access to God that's so unique because they very much are living on him for daily bread. So when my checking account is full, it's very difficult to live in that kind of radical dependency. But when I really, really am depending on the Lord for, Lord, where's my next meal coming from? My next paycheck coming from that? It just creates a kind of softness of spirit that James says, this is why he says in chapter one, that, chapter, chapter one that those who are in humble position ought to take pride in their high position. Because when in the world's eyes, you're kind of on the, the lower end of power, 
that actually, again, that's, it's been inverted in some way. You have a connection to God that's unique, spiritual riches. I grew, up in, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my next-door neighbor was 10 months younger than me. And his name is Brian Campbell. And he still lives in the house that I, uh, that's right next to the house I grew up in. And so when I go back to Tulsa, I go over and say hi to Brian, my old neighbor. So he's, he's 36 now. I'm 37. And Brian was born with Williams Syndrome. And Williams Syndrome, just to summarize what's going on there, your heart pumps doubly fast. And so you age doubly fast. And so Brian, he, he's never going to be able to drive. He lives with his parents. He's not able to go out and, and work. Brian, though, he knows Jesus Christ like his face-to-face friend. He spends his life in the scriptures. He's a man of prayer. And over the years, Brian has become known in Tulsa as one of the great men of God. Brian, again, he, he can't drive anywhere, get by himself, but some of the greatest leaders in Tulsa, Oklahoma will call Brian for counsel and for prayer because they know that when Brian prays, things happen. They know that Brian has access to the throne room of grace in a unique, special way because he is one of those that, that the world would put at the back of the line, and Jesus says, I bring him to the front of the line. And this is what James is saying. I, I, I remember going with a friend of mine, Kyle. He's a Friday nighter and he's a dear friend of ours. And Kyle, when I was just getting to know him, he said, I want to take you fishing up in the mountains, so meet at my house at 4.30 a.m. And I thought, who does that, you know? But real fishermen do. So I met at 4.30, and we drove by Starbucks, and Kyle's got a routine. And then we drove south, and we were starting to head up into the mountains. And Kyle stopped at this last McDonald's in civilization. And he got us these breakfast sandwiches, and he pulls around to the front. It's 5 a.m. at this point. And he looks at this lady standing at the door making $9 an hour, who does not want to be at McDonald's at 5 a.m. And Kyle, this man of great strength and, and knows the Lord and dignity, Kyle, I watch him dignify her and bless her and have a conversation with her and, and honor her. And I just thought to myself, getting to know this man, this is a man that I can trust because he is treating someone who could never further his life as if this was Jesus Christ standing in front of him. So I want to ask a few questions. How do you treat people who have no way of advancing your life or benefiting your bottom line? How do you treat people in that position? Do you treat the president different than you treat the grocery store clerk? Do you treat the mayor different than you do the person pushing in carts in the Walmart parking lot? How do you treat that person? And James says, if you have different standards for different people, you're missing out on the life of the kingdom. Do you treat someone of one nationality better than you treat someone of another nationality? And I think this is getting at the bleeding heart of what this text is trying to ask us. This text is, is sort of putting a litmus test for life in the kingdom in front of us by how we treat one another. One, one final story. I remember a, a great man of God coming to New Life years ago, a man whose name is, is acclaimed. You would know his name if I said it. And he was coming to speak. And when we have speakers in, we send them with an honorarium for their work to you know, serve God's people. That's standard, you know, give them an honorarium. And just as he was getting ready to leave, we were in the back room. We handed him the check, and we said, thank you so much. And he stopped, and he handed the check back, and he said, do you know a single mom in the church who really needs this? And I said, yeah. And he said, I want you to take this. He said, I don't need it. God has been good to me. I want you to take this and sign it over and give it to that mom and her kids because she needs it. And you just tell her that people are pulling for her in Jesus' name. And I just thought that right there 
is a, a man of God. That right there is someone who understands what James is saying in James chapter 2. Those questions that you ask, that's such a great story. And those questions that you ask are so critical because they really do diagnose us. Are we operating in face receiving or are we operating according to the vision of the kingdom of God, the economy of the kingdom of God? And it is that, as we've been talking about, it is that face receiving, treating people on the basis of how they look that really prevents us from accessing the life of God. I was thinking this week as we were preparing this message together, I was thinking back, my dad tells this story for years, about 40 years or so, my dad worked for a car dealership in central Wisconsin. For a time, he was the sales manager, eventually became the general manager there. But when he was the sales manager, on one particular day, there was a guy that wandered into the dealership that just was, he was actually a guy that very similar to what James describes. He walked in in filthy clothes and just looked all kind of disheveled and not put together. And the salesmen on the floor, just, they're not, that's not the guy that they're going to They weren't in a hurry. They were not in a hurry to go and talk to this guy. But one of the guys that worked for my dad, Dan Gustafson was his name. Dan, a believer, godly man, saw this man walk in and just thought, I'm not going to, no face receiving. I'm not going to treat people on the basis of how they look. So he walks over the guy. The guy doesn't smell great. He doesn't look great. And again, he's just kind of disheveled. But Dan walks him through the whole process. The guy was interested in buying a new Jeep that day. Dan takes him through the process. They sit down at the table to do the paperwork. And when they get to the bottom line, the man pulls out a wad of cash, pays cash for a brand new Jeep that day. And my dad just, and that, I mean, that's a, that's a sale that makes a month for a salesman. All those other salesmen that avoided this guy, just so embarrassed of that. But Dan, I think that that's a parable of what we're talking about here. That when we refuse to treat people just on the basis of how they look or how much money they make or what kind of car they drive, or who their friends are, are they rich and powerful? If we'll treat people on the basis of the fundamental dignity that we have in Christ Jesus in the kingdom of God, what we'll find is that the riches of the life of the kingdom of God, the true riches of the kingdom really do come to us. This is why Jesus said, whenever you do these things for one of the least of these, my brothers or sisters, you have done it unto unto me. me. And so really what we're trying to say, what we're trying to encourage you and remind ourselves of is wherever you go, anyone you interact with, whoever you look into the eyes, see Jesus. Act as if you are washing the feet of Jesus. Act as if you are feeding Jesus. Act as if you are giving a cup of cold water to Jesus. Act as if you are clothing Jesus. Act as if you are visiting the sick Jesus in the hospital. Act as if you're visiting Jesus in prison. Because this is exactly what Jesus told us. And this is not just some mystical thing. Somehow in the interaction by the Spirit of God, there is a connection there with the divine image. Yes. And we are all made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And he created a male and female in his image. And, and so what we're trying to do is run up against the world's economy. Yeah. The world's system that says, do they look right? Do they smell right? Do they act right? Do they, do they have deep pockets? And then if so, then, then you give them your best. But the world says, if they don't meet the criteria, you give them your worst. You can mail it in. And what we're saying is every interaction is as if we are coming face-to-face with the divine image because we are coming face-to-face with the divine image. And we need to remember in this, to your point, that Jesus, I mean, when you look at the days of his earthly ministry, he preferred the company of those that the world tended to overlook. That's where he raced to. 
And so we are those who have been grafted by the spirit into his body. We are how Jesus is actual and present on planet earth. If we're going to live a life that's consistent with Jesus, we're going to live a life that's like that. It's a life where most of our attention is not given to the rich and the powerful trying to climb that silly ladder. But what we're doing, in fact, is we're trying to climb down the ladder, leveraging our strength and our ability to bless and to lift those that Jesus says at the great eschatological banquet, they're going to be the guests of honor. Our energy in the direction of our life ought to go there. And Jesus actually came to provoke those of us who are strong. Yes. Jesus came and said, to those who have been given much, much will be required. So James is saying, look, the world tells you, spend your very best energy trying to curry the favor of the powerful. Jesus says, go up to the powerful and look them in the eyes and say, if God has given you much, much will be required of you. Now get your booty out there and serve the poor. And so Jesus flips it on its head. And so we, those of us, I mean, really, if you live in the first world West right now in this moment in history, you are a part of the richest society on planet earth ever. And so all of us, regardless of what we make per year, all of us fit in that category of those who have been given much and much will be required of us. And so this is why we serve the poor. This is why we open dream centers. This is why we open Mary's home. This is why we go on global missions. This is why we send money to Pakistan to help take care of Pastor William and his family. This is why, because Jesus came and showed us the way and Jesus came and said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself and take up your cross and get out there on the streets and serve these people. Our determination not to do this, we call by many names, don't we? I was thinking that one of the names that we call this in our modern time is we call it networking. (laughs) What we do is we go, well, you know, I need to make sure that I'm in relationship with these sorts of people because they can really help me kind of get to where I'm going in life. And and I get it. There's a time and a place and a role for networking. And we all do that to a certain extent. But James doesn't mince any words with us here. James sees that all of that face receiving is out of step with the kingdom. So here's what he does. I want to turn your attention back to verse eight of chapter two. James says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, it's not networking. It's none of that stuff. He says, you're sinning (laughs) and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For the one who said, don't commit adultery also said, you shall not murder. And if you do commit, don't commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. So this is what he says. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful and mercy triumphs over judgment. See, brothers and sisters, James calls it sin, which is what it is. And what he does to us is he puts in front of us the question, what kind of a world do you actually want to live in? Do you want to live in a world that's defined by face receiving and people trampling on one another to try to get to the top? Or do you want to live in a world that's characterized by empathy and mercy and compassion and kindness? And he says, if you determine to live in that kind of world as you're led by the spirit of God, that is the world that you will receive. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said, but they will be shown mercy. But if you want, what you want is a world that's full of judgment and discrimination and face receiving, James says, that's the world that you're going to live in. It will close in on you. And so when we come to the table here, 
We are coming to the life of the one who liberates us for mercy and for compassion for a whole different way of being human. The table is the perfect place to come after James chapter two, because think about who's at the table that night. Jesus is sitting there and Judas is in the house. Judas, who's already collected 30 pieces of silver to sell Jesus off. There's Peter at the table who before the night's over is going to deny he ever even knew Jesus three times. You got people who are going to run within hours, scatter back to Galilee and go hide back in their holes and go tuck themselves back into familiarity of the life that they lived before they met Jesus. No one comes to the table qualified to be at the table. Everyone comes to the table by mercy. Everyone comes to the table because Jesus is kind. Everyone comes to the table because Jesus will have whoever will come to the table. And so communion tonight is a retraining in mercy. Communion tonight is a retraining in receiving people based on the divine image, not on their pocketbooks, not on their clout, not on their reputation. Jesus doesn't look at that stuff. He looks through it and he sees the heart that's aching for communion. And so tonight, this weekend, as we celebrate Friday night and New Life East coming together, we come to the table of the Lord who retrains us in mercy, who invites us into communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he looked across the table at all of these underachievers just like us. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Remember that I've come to feed you. Remember that I've come to level the playing field. Remember that I've come to restore order in God's good world. Jesus feeds us this weekend with his broken body. You may receive the body. on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of sins. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Jesus is saying, I've come to wash away your old story. I've come to drown the the life of the flesh that has overwhelmed you. And I've come to restore you into everlasting life. I've come to refresh you. I've come to nourish you. I've come to give you what you need that will bring satisfaction. And so tonight we receive, this weekend we receive the the blessing of Jesus. We receive the nourishment of Jesus. You may receive the cup. Now New Life East and New Life Friday night, open your hands and just receive. I say over you, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I say over you, be glad in the Father's love for you. I say over you, be formed in the image of Christ Jesus, who knew no distinction between people, but saw them as they really were, beloved children of God in the presence of God. I say all of those things over you, and I say, be light in a dark world. And now as you go into your week, I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you.